0: Alright, well good morning. Uh, welcome to Parkview East. My name is Doug. I am the pastor here at Parkview East and it's a joy to be able to spend um, this Easter morning with you guys. want to just welcome you if you're new. We're glad that you're here. Um, this isn't your usual Sunday at Parkview East for a couple of reasons, right? Jeremy mentioned we got lots of kids in the service and that's awesome. We love that. Um, the other thing that's going to be a little unusual is I'm going to go a little shorter than I normally do, alright? I know, I know. Just come back next week, alright? Lots of words I could say next week, so. but we're going to try to keep it short this morning. But really, it's, it's my joy to be able to, to open up Scripture this morning and to be able to proclaim the message which is the center and the source of our Christian hope. Easter morning, we celebrate, we celebrate that Jesus is no longer in the tomb, that he has conquered the grave, that death has been defeated, and that our King, our Savior, Lives, And that is good news for us this morning. It's good news. And so this morning, there's no greater message that we can proclaim. There's no greater message that we can share. There's no greater way that we can spread hope than by declaring that the tomb is empty. All right. As a church, we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark, and this, this morning's also special because this is our final message in the book of Mark. And so if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them. We're going to be in Mark 16. We're just going to look at eight verses this morning. The words will be on the screen this morning, so if you don't have a, a copy of God's Word, you can just look and follow up on the screen with me. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 16. I'm going to read this, and then I'll pray for our time together. This is Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let me pray for our time. Father God, Lord, as we consider these words, as we consider just the the miracle of the resurrection, Father, I pray that you would speak life into this place. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is a living, active God. And you are present with us right now this morning, Lord. And I just pray that as these words, um, as your word is declared, Father, I pray that your truth would be made known. Lord, and as we consider the fact that the tomb is empty, Lord, I pray that you would extend your hope and the healing that only comes by the power of your gospel to the people in here right now, Lord. We ask these things in your holy and precious name, amen. Amen. Let me just ask you a simple question. Have you ever discovered something that has radically transformed your life? Have you ever uncovered a particular reality that has then changed the entire trajectory of your life? Maybe it's something as simple as a musician, right? When I was growing up, one of the musicians that I loved to listen to was Bob Marley. And I can remember when my brother and my sister sat me down and they said, Doug, you need to learn about Bob Marley. I was so grateful for that lesson, right? Radically transformed my appreciation for music. I was very appreciative of that. I can also remember when I was in college, I went to a, a friend who was in college as well. He's in Chicago, and I went to visit him one day, and he said, hey, Doug, let's go down. I want to I get you an Italian beef sandwich, okay? Some man's in the house. You understand what I'm talking about? You see where this is going? Okay. An Italian beef sandwich. So we went to Portillo's. I don't know if you've ever been to Portillo's. All right, all right. Get me preaching up in here. All right, I see that hand. I see that hand. Italian beef sandwich at Portillo's. And I can remember, he said, Come on, I'm like, I look at the menu, a little overwhelmed, not real sure what to get. He said, just, just follow my lead. I was like, All right, I'll take the big beef, take the big beef with peppers and mozzarella. And then said the infamous words, And dip that sandwich. All right, I was like, Whoa, 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 whoa. You're gonna do what with the sandwich? Dip it. I sat there and I watched, and to my amazement, They lowered the entire sandwich into the juice and brought it back. I was like, glory, hallelujah. The game has officially been changed, all right? I have a new appreciation for food. My my life has legitimately not been the same since. Maybe not for the best, okay? Not for the best. If you ever go to Portillo's with me, you might just want to look the other way. It gets nasty fast, all right? There are certain discoveries that when you stumble upon them, your life will never be the same. It will never be the same. What we're here this morning really is to celebrate the greatest discovery of all time. The absolute greatest discovery of all time. The empty tomb. Last week we talked about the cross, and we talked about how the cross was really the day that the revolution began, the world's greatest revolution. The cross was the day that that revolution began. And if that's true, then the resurrection is the first visible sign that this revolution is for real, that this revolution is legitimate. If you remember, the cross was the way that the Roman world dealt with revolutionaries, would-be insurrectionists. They hung them up on the cross. What's different about this revolution is that the cross would be the beginning of the revolution, not the end. It would be the beginning. And the resurrection is the first visible sign that this revolution is for real. The first sign. This morning, I've got just a simple point. One simple point we're going to look at this morning. Well, it's a big point. It's got three smaller points, all right? The big point this morning is that the discovery of the empty tomb demands a response from you. The discovery of the empty tomb, what Mary and Mary discovered that first Easter morning, demands a response from you. So as we just kind of walk through the text real quick, what we'll see is that the revolution first is discovered. Well, then, or sorry, the resurrection is first discovered. Then we'll see that the resurrection is declared. And finally, we'll see that the resurrection places demands on our life. So first up, the resurrection is discovered. We see this in verses 1 through 5. Our passage this morning in typical Markan style gets directly to the point. It's the shortest. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is the shortest resurrection story in the Gospels. There's no mention of Jesus appearing to any of the disciples. There are no words that Jesus declares, no missionary mandate that you might see when you're reading the other resurrection stories. This is the shortest of the stories. We're simply told that on the third day, Sunday, and this was Jewish custom. If you know, Jesus was killed on the cross on Friday. Any portion of the day in ancient Jewish world they would consider as a full day. So that's why if you're doing the mathic and Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's not really three full days, but in Jewish times that's how they did it. 3 days. Two women 3 days later they would go out and they would buy spices Saturday night. Then they would go early Sunday morning to the tomb. We know that this is Mary and Mary. They go to the tomb, they've already purchased the spices and they are going there to tend to the body. It's important to notice that Mary and Mary, upon heading to the tomb, they've invested in spices. They've got a plan for how they're going to spend their time. And when they get to the tomb, they see something that is completely unexpected. Instead, they have seen that the tomb has been rolled away. They expected to encounter a body, right? Other gospels tell us that as they enter into the tomb, they simply see his grave clothes laying there. His face cloth is neatly folded and sitting on the bench. A remarkable and completely unexpected discovery. Jesus was gone. These women were the first to discover the greatest event of all time. Now, a tomb that was empty. If they, they had seen Jesus die. They saw what they did to Jesus' body. Right? And they knew that Jesus was dead. They knew he was dead. And yet they enter this day into the tomb site. They see the tomb. This tombstone is rolled away and that his body is not there. And then what would follow is a certain chain of events that would eventually change the entire world the entire world as we know it. And so as you consider just that fact, that they appeared to the tomb, the stone was rolled away, and that the tomb was completely empty, you have to explain it. The the events that surrounded this were so remarkable, so amazing, you have to try to explain what happened. Now, historically, there's been four different ways of people explaining what happened. Now, I'm just gonna put my cards out on the table. I'm a Christian, right? So I think all, (laughs) right, shocker, okay? I think these four ways are completely bunk, absurd, not real, but four historical ways that people have thought that have kind of gained traction over the years of what happened that first Easter morning. The first is simply that the ladies went to the wrong tomb, all right? Now, some of us have gotten lost before, maybe some more than others, all right? But Mary and Mary, this explanation simply says they went to the wrong tomb. The tomb was empty because it was the wrong tomb. Well, for this one to just kind of play out, they would have gone to the wrong tomb. And then John and Peter and the other disciples that have visited the tomb, they all must have gone to the wrong tomb as well. That's what the theory says, wrong tomb. Well, just to challenge that a little bit, listen. This is the Roman Empire, the world's greatest, most dominant force. Right. When this revolution would have began to create a little bit of steam and the Roman world would have seen that. Oh, my goodness, what is happening? All they would have had to do if this is what happened. They went to the wrong tomb. All the Roman Empire would have had to do is just go get the body and say, check it out. All right. Your boy's still dead. Go back home. That's all they would have had to say. Right. But they couldn't do it. They couldn't present a body. Another theory of what potentially could have happened was that there was some sort of hallucination. Okay, now anybody who's lost somebody and is overcome by grief, this is something that can happen. You can hallucinate. You can see things that aren't actually there. You can think things, a particular view of reality that is actually skewed and off. That's not real and true. They hallucinated. Okay? Now the problem with this theory is that this would have had to been one serious. Hallucination. We learn in First Corinthians 15 that First uh, Corinthians 15 that Paul says that Jesus, after he rose from the dead, appeared to some 500 individuals. All right. Now, this was either a lot of if it was a hallucination, a tremendous amount of grief or they stumbled across some wild mushrooms, if you know what I'm talking about. All right. Because this is not your typical hallucination. There is no documentation of a hallucination on this kind of force. This would be huge. Can't be. Theory doesn't work. Next one that picks up some steam is that they mistook Jesus for being dead and they actually buried him alive, that he wasn't actually dead. Now, people have believed this, all right? They have believed that maybe he was buried accidentally, mistook him for dead, and he was alive, all right? Maybe that's what happened. The only I mean, historically, we know that this has happened before. There's been people who've actually been buried alive, right? Now, the problem with this is, is if you would have saw what they did to Jesus, When he was on the cross, if you would have saw how he was flogged, how he was tortured, right? The way you would die, I mean, essentially would be loss of blood or you would die from suffocation. You wouldn't be able to breathe. What his body went through, to then come out of the tomb would be completely, completely ridiculous. And then his disciples, they would have spent all of their time and energy tending to his broken body, not doing the things that they actually did. So for him to come out of the tomb, honestly, again, it's absurd. The the other possibility, and this is maybe the one that that a lot of people really gets the most traction, is the the idea that his body was stolen. That that Jesus' disciples kind of concocted this master plan where they would go in, they would take his body, and they would steal it. And then the revolution would, would be going, okay? Now, the only problem with this, there's a few problems, but one of the main problems is if you read the Bible and you know who these disciples are, you're giving them way too much credit. All right? Way too much credit. Like when you read the Bible, one of the reasons why we know the Bible is true, because there's all sorts of stuff in there that the guys are writing it, that if it wasn't true, you wouldn't include that in the Bible, because it doesn't make them look that good. I mean, these guys, for the most part, like their gift is Catching fish. Like, that's what most of them can do. Not to knock fishing, because that's a great, great thing. But that's like what their best, that's their A game, is like fishing. All right? And sometimes they can't even do that, right? They're not catching any fish. And then to say that these guys go in like some sort of Navy SEAL, like six team, and they're like, got this great plan, and they're stealing the body, and they're covering up, they're totally fooling the Roman Empire. You're giving them just a little bit too much credit all right, then these guys will go to the grave with this concocted plan of a lie, right? No, they're not. Not one of these disciples recants their story. If they stole the body, then as each one of these guys, we know the Bible tells us, and we know from history, will eventually meet the same fate. They will give their life defending this truth, the reality of the resurrection. If it was made up If it was fake, if they had stolen the body, at some point, one of these dudes would have cracked. They would have. When their life was on the line, when they were isolated on the island of Patmos, John would have said, listen, gig is up, all right? I got, it's right here. At some point, they would have cracked, but they don't. Instead, these men, his followers, give their lives for the reality of the resurrection, okay? It is true. Now, what's so interesting to me about this is the fact that when the ladies discover the empty tomb, the Bible says that the tombstone is rolled away. Now, check it out. Jesus, coming back from the dead, he does not need the tombstone moved away so he can get out. Right? In John chapter 20, verse 19, we learn that Jesus eventually, with his resurrection body, just appears in the room where his disciples are. He just shows up. He doesn't open the door All right? He doesn't crawl through the window, right? He just appears. Jesus does not need the tombstone rolled away so he can get out. He rolls the tombstone away so they can come in. What Jesus does, what God does, is he invites these women to come and see. Are you skeptical of the resurrection? Are you wondering what's happened? This tombstone has moved away Is an invitation to come in. Check it out. Poke around and explore. Many people are skeptical, right? Because if this one central thing is wrong, all of Christianity, like we can fold up shop right now. Great voices, take them to the club. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a wrap. We're over. There's no Christianity apart from the resurrection. You got a good dude who reads from a good book. That's what you got, all right? Our entire faith hinges on the reality of the resurrection. Absolutely critical. Don't take my word for it. The tomb is open. Poke around and take a look. Next thing we see is as they enter in in verse 6, we see that the resurrection is declared. Upon discovering the open tomb, the women are met by what is described by Mark as a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe. He doesn't specifically say that they encounter an angel, but his language certainly would suggest it, as do the other gospel writers. They say that Luke says that his clothes gleamed like lightning. The angelic being tells them, don't be alarmed. Probably a little late for that one, right? Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has Risen, he is not here. The angel's message was simple and clear: He has risen. It's three words in our language, in his word language. It was simply one word: He's risen. This simple message is the center and the source of all of our Christian hope—the hope for humanity. Christ has risen. Death has been defeated. The grave. Our enemy has been conquered. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, For I have delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared more than, to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. As Paul points in, to the center of the resurrection as it plays into our faith, he says, listen, if you're doubting this, go ask somebody. Go ask Somebody. You think of right now, like a lot of the folks who who doubt that the Holocaust actually existed, right? Well, a lot of that skepticism that comes up now. I mean, it's not a lot, but there's some people who doubt it. And part of it is because those who were there are there's fewer and fewer of them around. And so you can start to question. Where back in the day, all you had to say is go talk to him. He's he was there. He liberated the concentration camps. Like we know that 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 all of this stuff happened. Go ask a witness. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. If you doubt that the resurrection existed, go talk to somebody. She was there. He was there. There's witnesses around. But it's interesting that for Paul, the resurrection brings the in this passage is of the greatest significance. He mentions the reference to the death of Christ. He makes reference to the burial of Christ. But the main emphasis in this passage is on the resurrection. The reason for that is that the resurrection is not simply a component Of our Christian message it's not merely a feature of our story it is the main event it's in fact the greatest event of all time Jesus himself was the greatest man and this is the greatest event in his entire life listen if the the resurrection again if it doesn't exist we have we have no point in even being here this morning all right So you can't call yourself a Christian. You can't call yourself a Christian and not have the resurrection at the center of your life. It's not just the means by which you come into faith. It's also the means by which you walk out your faith every day. All right? Lastly, we see that the resurrection, it places particular demands on our life. It places particular demands on our life. The announcement of Jesus' resurrection is the basis for action. It places demands on us Mark's account comes screeching to a halt now if you have your Bible open you will see that there's a portion that's written afterwards and that's not actually the portion that follows verse 8 um, was not in the earlier documents and so there's a lot of questioning whether or not that actually is part of Mark's gospel most scholars say it's not all right and so his, his gospel account really ends at verse 8 in chapter 16 And what he does is the story comes to a complete end. Mark doesn't tell us that as the women leave the tomb, as they walk away from the angel, he doesn't tell us how it plays out. He doesn't tell us if they're faithful to doing what the angel tells them to do. We have no idea. And really what this is, it's an invitation for us to enter into the story. That as the reader opens this book, reads these words, and sees these women at this crossroads, are they going to be faithful to this Christian witness? Are their lives going to be changed? Mark doesn't tell us how it plays out because it's an invitation for us to see ourselves facing the exact same decision. To see ourselves in their shoes. It's an invitation to check it out. Now imagine with me for a moment. These women walk into the tomb. They've got their spices that they spent money on. They walk into the tomb. They encounter the angel. They hear what the angel has to say. Then they look over where the other bench opposite where the angel was sitting, and they see that Jesus' cloth is sitting there, the the, the grave clothes that he was wearing. They see the, the face cloth that was wrapped around his head. They see it neatly folded on the bench. Now imagine if these women, their next move was to reach in their bag of spices. Right? Exactly like they planned. Reach in the bag of spices and begin to anoint those grave clothes. Well, how would you respond to that? I would say, you fool. What are you doing? The body is not here. Right? Your entire, like your plans for the day have changed, Mary. Alright? Those spices are no good here, right? you are going to have a totally different day, right? You would say, what a fool. She started sprinkling spices in an empty tomb. What are you doing, right? It demands that she changes her plans, that she looks not just at her day, but her entire life in a radically, radically different way. And the truth is, the same is true for you and for me. Because Jesus is still alive. like He did not crawl back in the tomb. Some of us are living like Mary and Mary, sprinkling spices on clothes with no body, right? Jesus did not, like 100 years, 200 years, be like, all right, gigs up, back in the tomb, it's over. Jesus didn't do that. He is still alive, and for us, we have to, as God's people, if you're here today and you do not know God as your father, as you, the creator of the universe, as your, Jesus as your personal savior. If you do not know him, then this, this may not apply to you. But for those of you who call yourselves followers of Jesus, who are Christians, we have to start living. We need to live our life like Jesus is out of the tomb. All right? He doesn't crawl back in the tomb. Our life needs to look different. It has to look different. I think a great example of this is Peter. The angel tells Mary, go and tell the disciples, and he specifically says, and Peter. Tell Peter as well. So interesting. Now, remember, Mark's writing this story, but it's really Peter's gospel. He's heard the message from Peter. This is really Peter's words that Mark is writing down. And the angel specifically calls out Peter. Now, if all the disciples, that's exactly the one that he should be specifically calling out. Because if you know the story of Peter, right, Peter betrayed. Jesus is on the cross. He's dying. And men are saying, oh, that's your boy right there. Aren't you from Galilee? Aren't you with Jesus? And no, 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 no. Peter says, no, not me. I don't know Jesus. Who, this guy? No, no, no. Three times, Jesus' right-hand man, when Jesus needed him the most, completely turned his back, abandoned Jesus right? At some point in his life when Jesus and Peter were doing ministry, Peter messed up and Jesus looks at Peter and calls him Satan, right? He says, get behind me, Satan. Like, that's a bad day for Peter. It's a bad day if Jesus calls you Satan, right? Things are not good, Jesus calling you Satan. You messed up a little bit, right? Some of us walk in here this morning and you might think, you might think that what's going on in your life, where you have come from, Maybe mistakes you've made, sin that has has devastated maybe you and those around you. You might think, I am beyond that. Well, quite honestly, there's some people in this room that would make your sins look like the JV team, all right? Peter makes all of our sins look like the JV team. He turned his back on the Savior, right? But Jesus says, go and tell Peter that I, or the angel tells him, go and tell Peter that the tomb is empty. And it's interesting in, in, in Peter's letter He says this in chapter one, verse three. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What's awesome about the resurrection, and Peter gets it, is that because Jesus rose from the dead, we now get to join him with that new life. The resurrection wasn't just hope for Jesus, it's hope for us. Now we get to be born again. And it doesn't matter what we bring. So, so often, many of us try to fix our situation, our sins, on our own strength. The Bible says that's foolishness. That's foolishness, right? Jesus died for those sins. He was raised for your life. The resurrection demands that we step out of death and into life personally. That's good news. It has tremendous personal implications. But the gospel also has really big implications, not just for how we deal with our sin, calling us out of death and into life, but it also has tremendous implications for how we live with those around us. It doesn't just help us deal with our sins. It lights a fire under us and sends us out into action, out into action. There was an article this week in the uh, Wall Street Journal, and it was a wonderful article it was called the Easter Effect I don't know if you saw it but it's a fantastic article and in there the columnist the guy who wrote it talks about how just some 275 years after the resurrection the entire Roman world would would radically change Constantine is at a particular battle in 312 and and right before that battle Constantine's story is that he saw these this vision of sort of religious symbols and as a result he said I'm a man of faith, I'm going to come, give my life to the Lord Jesus, and from now on we're going to stop persecuting Christianity, we're no longer going to say you can't publicly profess your faith. He had a change of heart. He attributed to this sort of vision of these religious symbols. I would suggest it was more just a political strategy. The reason why it was a political strategy is because Constantine, the emperor of Rome, saw that anywhere from a quarter to a half of the Roman Empire had become Christians. And 250 years, this message would spread throughout the Roman Empire. Up to half, historians say, of the Roman Empire at that time considered themselves Christians. They could not squash the revolution. They could not squash it. Now, many historians may look back and say, well, how did this remarkable thing happen? The Roman Empire declaring itself really a Christian empire? How did that happen? Some attribute it to the fact that, that for the first time throughout history, now women were brought to the center of the story. Where they had been marginalized and persecuted, women were the ones that discovered the tomb. The Bible brought a radical way to affirm the beauty and the worth and the value of what it means to be a woman. In the ancient world... That notion revolutionary, completely revolutionary. Maybe that's why it was. Now the women are getting on board. Okay, cool. We can we can do this. Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe it was the fact that that the Christians had this particular way of caring for the sick. Right? They, they would care for the orphan, for the widow, for the sick among them. A, a place that was plagued by plagues. Like Christians stepped up. They started to care for the sick. They would go to the lepers that radically revolutionized how people saw many there's many different ways that you could say well that's why it spread so fast that's why it spread so fast well this morning we're here to celebrate the actual reason why it spread because of the resurrection Because Jesus is no longer in the tomb. Christianity has become the greatest shaping influence in the Western world because Jesus isn't in the tomb. Christianity has spread throughout the world. It brings hope and it brings healing to people who are broken and to people who are hurting only because Jesus isn't in the tomb. We can gather here this morning, sing praises to Jesus. We can lift him high. And the only reason we can do that is because the tomb is empty. He's no longer in the tomb. And so my simple challenge to you this morning, not just to you personally, but to us as a people, is are we living our lives like Jesus is still in the tomb? Are you living your life like Jesus is still in the tomb? If you are, if you are, Jesus' invitation this morning is as strong and as clear as it has ever been. Come and see. Step into the tomb. He rolled the stone away. Check it out. Check it out. Maybe you're somebody here who's, who's put your faith and trust in Jesus. You have repented of your sins. And maybe what plagues you isn't necessarily skepticism, but maybe it's apathy. Right? Maybe like you're just living your life. like The best way that you measure how you're doing is just by looking at people around you. Right? I don't know if you fall into that trap, but sometimes that's what I do. I think, okay, I'm not such a bad husband because look at how this dude's dropping the ball. I'm not such a bad dad, right? I'm not such a bad dad because look at this guy over here. I'm okay. I'm doing all right. But what Jesus does is he holds himself up. He becomes our standard. Look to Jesus. Maybe it's not skepticism you're dealing with this morning. Maybe it's not apathy, but maybe it's idleness. Maybe you're just idle. Maybe your faith isn't actually walking itself out in action, right? There is a group of people here who struggle with that all the time. And I'll tell you right now, if you don't get connected with other believers, odds are you will go down one of those paths. You'll either grow skeptical, you'll grow apathetic, or you'll be completely idle in your faith. This morning, there's no greater gift that you could give, no greater gift that you could receive than the gift of life that we only have access to because the tomb is empty. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the fact that we can come here this morning and celebrate. Thank you that we have a hope that's real, that's legitimate, that's historical. Lord, and we thank you that we have um, a message, Lord, that changes lives. And I pray that just as we consider our own life, Lord, I pray that that would be our story. That we would, Lord, have a life that looks totally different and that it would only be because the tomb is empty. Lord, the tomb is empty, not because we tried harder. Lord, not because we just worked more, Father, but because we're able to trust in the work that you have already done. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name. Amen.